<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to a very special 2023 off-season episode. You're listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and a proud member of the Herd at Sports Network. My name is Ben and I am joined as always by my good friend and co-host Drew. Thanks Ben and thank you all for joining us. For those new to the show during the Nebraska football season, Ben and I profile and review craft breweries, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker football insight. And in the off season we're free to do whatever we want, but as creatures of habit we pretty much stick to what we know. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabe walk-ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On today's episode, we kick off an off-season mini-series of interviews with local breweries as we sit down with Dan and Will from Lincoln, Nebraska's Corn Coast Brewing Company. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of Wannabe Walk-Ons. We are very excited for today, as not only are we covering one of our favorite Nebraska breweries, but we are doing so at the brewery with the owners and brewmasters themselves. Drew, tell the folks listening where we are and who we are with. Yeah, absolutely. We are sitting with Dan Wachemeyer and Will Walter, the team behind Lincoln's own Corn Coast Brewing Company. Uh, And I couldn't be happier. The script says that, but I mean it. Um, I'm really excited about this one. Dan and Will, welcome to the show, and thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, guys, for being here. Yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate it. And thanks for coming down to the uh, to the tap room. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's that. You don't have to twist our arm very hard at all. And I also like that I said, uh, thanks for being here, as if uh, <laughs> as if you guys wouldn't be. Um, to get going, guys, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you guys divide the responsibilities of the brewery between the two of you? Yeah, um, any startup business, I think, has. Uh, has to figure that out kind of as they go, uh, which for the first couple of years, we've been filling out different duties. And now at this point, I think now we've kind of fallen into our own roles in the brewery and it's running way more efficiently than it was in the beginning. So I, I typically handle most of the, the brewing stuff, which would include kind of the inventory of uh, ingredients, ordering hops, grain, uh, making sure the yeast is showing up on time and all that. Um, and then um, Dan can tell you more about his roles. Well, I really think we should start with a little backstory on the brewery. Um, Will and myself both went to UNL. Um, we were in the Naval ROTC. Uh, we graduated in 2010, went our separate ways, um, and then, but kept in touch. And in 2016, we were back for Thanksgiving, met up, talking about stuff. Will was about to leave the Marine Corps. Uh, I still had three years left, or four years left in the uh, in the Navy, um, and we're like, what are we gonna do? Well, uh, Will had been home brewing a lot, and throughout the idea of opening a brewery, so we're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, he sent us the other two of us ingredients kits. Um, the third owner. Ben, he's still active duty Marine Corps. Um, 
sent us ingredients kits. We bought the equipment, sent them for Christmas. We bought the equipment, and that's how I started in home brewing. Um, and then when I left active duty in 2020, moved back, started getting this thing going. Um, now, like Will said, he's the brewmaster. I brew sometimes when he's out. Like I, I have that experience to do so, um, but I'm more of the tap room manager guy, uh, inventory of all the stuff out here, merch, all that stuff. All the drawings on our chalkboard, that's all me. Um, every once in a while, like you can see up there for our buried treasure, we had that chalk drawing. Um, I did that. We put it on the label for the when we came out with that fruited sour. So random stuff like that I'll throw in. So. Awesome. And to clarify, when Dan says brew master, I prefer head brewer just because <laughs> master would uh, insinuate that we haven't dumped a whole bunch of beer down the drains here, <laughs> which we do um, pretty frequently. So uh, always, always trying to maintain a standard. And if it's not up to that standard, we're not afraid to just ditch it down the, down the sewer. I, I would push back. I mean, I, I feel like there's a there's a lot of masters who hold themselves to a high standard, and I'm sure there's plenty of masters out there who who do dump too, right? Like that's just part of the game. Is you just always want to be better and, and better. And I think that from drinking your beer, you've you've definitely earned at least us plebeians calling you that. Us us <laughs> normal well, people. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, it's always good to hear the you know the positive feedback. Um, for as much uh, as you know, the craft beer scene gets both positive and negative feedback. Uh, it's it's the positive. Uh, that you know keeps you keeps you going and trying to make the beers better and better uh, yeah. for those folks. It's it's a hard thing not to be positive about. You know what I mean? Like I don't ever have a bad time drinking craft beer. Yeah, not not here. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of really great beers. Um, and I'm I'm right now trying out the the Beach in Time the cream ale that you did, and I got to tell you, this is one of the cleanest cream ales I've ever had. There's usually a little bit of like a little like hay funk to them um, that can be off putting, but this one. It, it it drinks like um, almost any other light lager, yeah. but it still has a lot of those interesting character notes that you like about a cream ale. And so if you've mastered anything, I think beach and time might be it. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice hybrid style. You know, it kind of falls between a lager and a, and a, a blonde ale or something. Kind of, kind of like a Kolsch, which is another one that's been real popular for us, uh, especially this time of year, you know, getting into the, to the warmer weather and all that. Do you guys find yourselves kind of having to adapt to the customer base and, and what their tastes are? Or have you guys had a good opportunity to really explore and have the customers kind of find where their tastes align with what you're doing? It's been a little of both. I mean, there's uh, I've listened to a number of brewing-specific podcasts where they say, you know, we want to brew the beers that we, we want to drink and then, you know, sell the rest of it, or that's kind of like the cliche thing. Um, we're, you know, we're obviously brewing some beers that are – more suited to our taste uh, and some styles that maybe aren't going to be as popular. Like an amber ale is not something you brew because people are going to rave over it or maybe not even drink it as fast as some of your other beers. Um, so we throw those in there, but you do have to you know, provide what is, I don't know, trendy at the moment and make sure that you're making relevant beers for the current, you know, craft beer market. So we try to stay, you know, uh, attuned to what's going on within craft beer, not just, locally, but across the United States and um, making sure that if there's a new style coming up, uh, we, you know, put our best version of it out there and then let the, you know, the customers decide whether or not they prefer that one. So. Awesome. Um, so my first question for you guys is, is you're called a nano brewery on your website. And that was a term that I'm honestly not familiar with. Um, and I know microbrewery is a, is a common phrase. Is there any reason like, or is there a definition behind nano brewery? What sets you apart from being a microbrewery or just another craft brewery? I'm pretty sure the uh, there is a definition out there. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it, it has to do with how much you're actually outputting. Now, are we starting to step into that micro realm with our self distribution? Probably, maybe I don't know. Um, but there there is a threshold. If I could find it on yeah, it's yeah. Just a yeah chart with like barrels per year that you're putting out there. Okay, um, and so like the next step up I think is a regional craft brewery from microbrewery, and those are like the big ones that you would think um, like big big brands you'd see at the store probably fall more into that category, like your boulevards and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay, I was just curious if it was one of those things where it's like, hey, we're artisan, whatever, and you're you know not really, but there's there is actually like a, a like a volume output, like there's a true definition behind yep. that. And, so that's something you will, I'm assuming, eventually want to grow out of, or you have plans on expanding 
into into the yeah. microbrewery realm? I think uh, the way I kind of look at it is almost like the brew system size. So this mm-hmm. is a five barrel brew system. I'd say that's probably at the top end of the the nano setup. I mean, a ten barrel system. A lot of microbreweries have a ten barrel system. Then it's just how much, how many times per week or per year you're brewing on that. Um, and so anything five barrels and below feels like kind of a nano setup. Uh, we are thinking at some point we're going to double that to a 10. So we have a bunch right. of 10 barrel fermenters that are kind of, we de- we have to double batch right now. So we brew twice in one day to fill those up. Okay. But uh, yeah, eventually the plan is kind of swap that out for a 10 barrel brew system and then cuts down our workload for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are rapidly approaching your second anniversary. Um, what are some of the things that you guys have, have, learned or what surprised you about the operating the brewery side of things that that you weren't anticipating two years ago before the doors opened Jeez, you got like four hours to, <laughs> hey, to hit yeah i think podcasts nowadays are like eight hours long anyway so let's go for yeah. it i mean the first thing big positive this location we didn't know if it was you know like you drove back here it's an industrial park um we were finding a building that needed to suit the brew system that comes with like Three-phase power, uh, drains in the floors, and kind of like all those things that have to go into it. Ideally, you have a location that also is accessible by your customer base. Um, so we kind of that part is almost like you just don't know. You know, are people going to show up over here, or is it going to be like one of those uh, things where people just can't find us and we're kind of just back here and nobody knows? Um, but people have t- turned out. I mean, it's crazy how busy you know we'll be on the weekends and. People that come from uh, not just, you know, this local area right here, but even from Omaha, and they just kind of, they find it, you know. Um, but, yeah, that was probably the biggest surprise just right out of the gate that people were able to, to locate us and uh, come visit, you know, day one. Yeah, I, w- I was I made the, the trek out here, and it's, um, I mean, it's, I'll, I'm, I'll happily make a drive to Lincoln to, you know, visit any of the breweries here. Um, and it is, it's tucked away in a, in a, um, a location I wasn't expecting, but it's super simple to find. Um, and this place was absolutely packed um, when I was out here. Um, and so my wife and I, you know, we grabbed some beers and we took them back to Omaha with us. And it was just cool to see um, so many people getting out here and enjoying because you guys at the time were, were, you know, about a little over a year old and, and one of the newer breweries on the scene. And so um, I think there is a there is a crowd out there that's always looking for, for new breweries here in Nebraska and in, in, um like Nebraska does a good job of supplying, supplying that crowd. So yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Are there are there logistical kind of things that just k- kind of pop out of nowhere? I mean, as as far as managing the the tap room itself, the things that surprised you about uh, what, what that process is like. Yeah. Okay. So both of us are officers, um, so we know how to manage people. Um, so that wasn't that hard, although the first couple interviews when we're hiring people like I've never done this before <laughs> this is yeah, we're crazy not HR people uh, yeah trade. sure um but uh like when, once we started getting that and and started getting a good rapport with our employees and and uh finding actually like all of our employees we pretty much just kind of like stumbled on the right candidate we haven't had the wrong candidate yet um, which is great, and our employees are continuously getting good praise. Um, but logistically, for the for the tap room, um, like we were talking about, it, this place is always packed. I wish we would have um, been able to manipulate our space a little bit better, just like knowing how everything would turn out and um, like where our bathrooms are placed. Maybe push that wall completely back and just have this all this entire space as a um, one giant tap room and then the bathrooms are like pushed into the back and then because we have the good thing about this building which uh, was like a added bonus is that the the rest of the bays in this building are open um, they're currently storage right now for the landlord so we can add on bays uh, which is the plan eventually maybe take over this entire building they just built a new building across the street with higher ceilings, so getting over there would be nice too because we can have some <laughs> solid tanks. But um, just like 
how how the tap room is all set up it's a great space but there's like all those little small things that are, we wish we would have known um that we could have gotten if we worked in the industry before but just jumping into it it's like well this works so yeah. awesome yeah. yeah when we went out and like you know did our research with other breweries it wasn't tap room stuff it was all hey the beer production side of it which uh any advice to anybody starting a brewery would be you know, spend time on all parts of the business and asking questions because we got wrapped up in that and didn't ask the things about logistically in the tap room so the way our taps are set up in the with the walk-in is not ideal um, and we've had to just kind of adapt everything as we went and there's some projects that we have to do coming up that we're not looking forward to so <laughs> we would have just done it right the first time we could have saved ourselves a lot of pain yeah I, I think it's a it's a good problem to have though right if you focus on making great beer people will come and then they'll they'll show you where there's opportunity sure. to, to improve but if the beer's good they'll you know, keeps you afloat for sure yeah, yeah folks yeah, will yeah. come in they'll make it work right I'll, I'll sit on the countertop if i need right. to to drink a beer and that's not a problem yeah and I, I mean you guys do obviously spend a ton of time thinking about beer you you call yourselves technical nerds when it comes to you know trying to craft recipes and and find that um you're chasing the perfect pint every time you're brewing i'm just curious what do you how do you define perfection in this case are you are you looking at trying to match a, a style that's true to, to its definition um, are you just trying to make it taste damn good where people just want to drink more and more of it? Or how would you define it? Yeah, so uh, I had the opportunity when I was on active duty to do a couple of uh, space A trips, which is like space available where you go to a big airport. There's government planes taken off. If they have back seats available for free, you can get on these planes and fly to Germany or uh, Hawaii, wherever. So my wife and I would get on these flights uh, a few times. We'd go out, land in uh, Ramstein uh, Air Force Base, Germany get a rental car, drive down to Munich and go to like Oktoberfest or uh, Cologne and have like Kolsch from the source. Um, and so those, uh, drinking those beers, like the way they're intended and from breweries that have been doing this for hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand years um, is, is different. And I think craft beer in America is caught up to that uh, nowadays, but th those beers are about as perfect as you can make them. And so I'm always trying to make a beer that kind of recreates that experience that I had. Now, when you're on a vacation too, the beer just tastes better. So yeah. it's, it's almost <laughs> like an unachievable <laughs> thing. Cause even if you make the same beer here, it's probably not gonna taste as good. So you're always trying to just, you know, a little bit better every time. Um, but yeah, those, those experiences. And then I've been to a lot of great IPA breweries living in Southern California for a while on active duty. I've uh, been to all the good ones down there. And um, so I've kind of got, I guess a benchmark that I like to shoot for just i don't know i'm never really satisfied with with any of the beers we make and there's always just something every single time we brew them rebrew them whatever uh that we're kind of playing around with yeah i hear that mindset a lot with with brewers ones that we've talked to and just um if you ever read or listen to any of them speak it's it's this this need to always do a little bit better and this this never feeling satisfied and so even though guys like us will come in here and be like man like this is an incredible beer um, you probably just sit there and like pick out all these little things like, oh, I wish I could tweak this or I'll try this next time. And, and yeah, just that, that constant hunger for yeah wanting to be better. Um, sure. I imagine that as much as the praise fuels you, um, also that, that never quite be sure. good enough. Is, There's always is a critic. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you oh, make yeah. everybody, how do you make every single person love the beer? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the hardest part. Yeah. What I really like about that uh, that answer you gave as well is that you know you're not necessarily tasting a chase or tasting a chase you're not chasing a taste you're you're chasing after an experience sure. right mm -hmm. and and so that then blends into the tap room itself as well and so it's all about it, it's more symbiotic it's more of this holistic approach as opposed to just like we're just going to try and make a good beer no we were trying to make an experience when you drink this beer um, and and again I think that just reflects itself in the end product that the beer has to be even a step above what we were aiming for to just continue to to kind of for develop sure. that feeling yeah and there's also a palette shift just with your customer base like every person in, in this country really has a, a a shifting palette over time and that's why you come around to certain beers you might go back to some and you just don't like them anymore um, so i mean the big breweries know this and they make small tweaks over time to the ones that are on the shelf year-round and um, we kind of have to pay attention to that too like for a while, I think certain hazy IPA styles were really popular. But I'm thinking nowadays, people are coming back to the drier, crisper, clear IPAs. So there's like maybe a middle ground when you're brewing a, a hazy IPA where you don't want to shoot for like the uh, ultra hazy, ultra juicy experience. There might be like a hybrid, so the West Coast, you know, 
New England style. Uh, so, sorry. Yeah, I think I think the masses kind of um, found a love for what craft beer could be, and what we did probably just took it to it to its extreme. Right. You know, and then now I think people maybe are getting burnt out or realizing that there is like. The, the yeah, s- yeah. these standards, these traditional beers that, yeah, sure. we're reeling it back in. and It's happened with everything, you know, West Coast IPA in, like, 2010. It was like, how bitter can you make this beer? Yeah. And then it was like, God, this, this beer kind of sucks. <laughs> and, like, then it's like, God, like and, then the, and then sours, kettle sours. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, barrel-aged sours, spontaneously fermented beers. Got really popular. It's like, how sour and dry can we make this? And I was like, it's, it's like taking the enamel off my teeth. I don't want this anymore. <laughs> Dial that back. And it's like, yeah. now it's like pastry. Uh, styles, pastry sours are oh, yeah. big. Um, so the pendulum just kind of keeps swinging back and forth. And I think same thing with like hazy IPA, you know, it was like, oh, how juicy can you make it? It's like, okay, here's the limit on that. Like dial it back. Um, so yeah, we're always trying to find the, the sweet spot to yeah. make these beers. I don't think you can go wrong with balance, right? If you find balance in a beer that incorporates the notes that hit kind of like on a hazy, like this hazy I'm drinking right now uh, is the modern melody. And it's got that, that tropical note, but there's also like a cream note to it. Uh, there's just a really balanced, the hoppiness comes in at the end. So I'm not just getting, you know, I'm not eating a Starburst. I'm drinking a beer. And, and so I can taste that maltiness with the balance of the hop, with the tropical note, and then that, like, nice creamy finish, that salivating made me want to go in for more. You know, the, the balance is, is there. And that's, that's, I think, what Drew and I really like, is when we find a beer that kind of ticks all the boxes and, and, and feels more like a complete symphony as opposed to just yep. a singular right. taste. Another thing about, like, German brewing and German beer drinking uh people talk about like the liter test can you drink a liter of it and then one another one you know and like that goes for light lager but i mean can you do that with a hazy ipa if you can like that beer is going to probably sell pretty good and people are going to like it uh that one you're drinking probably the most balanced hazy you know pale ale ipa that we have on the menu right now um but we try to hit kind of all spectrums there where you've got the lighter ones we have some more in your face stuff but it's it's not intended to be drank in a liter, you know, it's, <laughs> it's meant for a high impact, small sample kind of, kind of thing. So uh, as a company as a whole, um, what's Corn Coast philosophy? Like what is, what is kind of driving you guys as far as, um, you know, you've talked a lot about um, serving the community. You've talked a lot about the, the, the way that you kind of go after a beer, but uh, as far as the company as a whole, is there a, an internal philosophy that kind of drives you guys? I think for my personal thing is just, delivering the best, you know, quality product, the best experience. Um, and then as we're able to kind of give back to the, to the local community here, we want to do that. I don't, um, you know, right now I can't say like, oh, you know, we want to grow to be Budweiser. It's like, how do we just make the best beers and like serve our customers as well as we can make, make sure that everybody that comes in here is having you know, a good experience. Um, there's kind of something for everybody. Uh, and we're always, and we're, you know, not resting on our laurels and, always trying to just improve everything so whether that's like just like how good are we doing our bar service how you know how good are the beers and just every little kind of detail just always trying to improve everything in the business yeah um and like will was saying like giving back to the community um kind of another thing that we kind of just stumbled on just being vets um people reach out to us and we're like well, of course I got to support this. Like these organizations supported us or supported somebody that we know or uh, led out there and we want to give back. So um, definitely getting out there and, and anytime people reach out to us for these events, we try to do something. So. I mean, we can speak to that too. You guys have been hospitable in the, in the hour mm-hmm. that we've known you guys, which is, which is awesome. And that's, that's kind of reflected amongst the, the craft beer community that everyone tends to be real welcoming and, and doing what they can for their communities. And, and so we just, we appreciate that, uh, you know, more than we can express. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful, grateful for your hospitality, like you said, and, and, and for your service too. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for your service. That's something that, that can't be understated. Yeah. We appreciate yeah. the, uh, the support. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking of your military service, it's, I mean, it's taking you around the world. It's taking you around the country. Um, have you have you gone to areas? I know you talked about going to Germany and, and doing the Oktoberfest. And um, have have you felt like there are certain regions or places you've been that have influenced maybe the beer styles you've wanted to make or how you're brewing your beers? Yeah, I mean, those like uh, so. My wife is from uh, well, her her dad is from England. He's 
still there. They're, her parents are separated, but he's um, 100% English, so he lives in a small town in England called Chipping Norton. So, you know, we go out there occasionally. So my first exposure to English craft or English uh, cask ales uh, was pretty life-changing. So I've had, I've had that and the, the German beer experiences I was talking about. So I have kind of a passion for some of those styles that are really, like, in America, not hyped, if you will. Sure. Uh, you know, they're, they're just the classic beers that people have been making for so long. They're so dialed in, and they're intended for session drinking. Like, at the pub, you know, you're going to drink cask ales. You can have 10 of them because they're 3.5%, but they don't lack any flavor. They're highly drinkable. Same thing in Germany, um, you know, for, like, you go to Cologne, Kolsch is served in a 200 ml glass. They bring them out on this little like circle carrier and they just mark your coaster every time you have one. And when you're done, you put your coaster on top of your glass, then they give you the bill. Oh, that's uh, awesome. cool. That's yeah. really cool. So everything like in Europe is kind of made for drinking in quantity. Uh, so I love those beers, but you know, we want to, so we want to sprinkle those in. Those are the ones that are definitely uh, focused on in terms of just really trying to recreate that experience. Um, and then we also have that obsession with like hoppy beers, so we're trying to make you know the best IPAs that we can. But in terms of like travel and the, the beer experiences, for me personally, it's been like the European stuff that um, it, maybe it's because it's so hard to recreate and it's hard to travel there that you want to try to do your best shot to like provide that kind of experience. Yeah, uh, unlike Will, I did not travel that much. Um, <laughs> But uh, just the the local brewery scenes in the in the places that I was stationed here in the states, um, some were good, some were bad. Um, but of course, just like going in there and and trying their beers and, and finding something that you like and um, want to like shoot off from and and make your own. Um, really, definitely, like I said earlier, like 2017, I was probably brewing like two to three times a month um, when I could during uh, that shore duty and um, just putting out those those beers if if I'd go to a local brewery and oh they got pretty good hazy IPA so let's go make a hazy IPA this week you know yeah or um, I always loved making the light beers uh, as a as a home brewer just because um Anytime I would talk to Will about it, it's like, well, yeah, anybody can make a a hazy IPA if they throw in adjuncts or throw in like ridiculous amount of hops and let those flavors take over. But if you really want to dial in a beer and doing those light beers, making them taste right and and uh, making you want them to drink more, like he was just saying, is um, what I was kind of going for for. Uh, doing the homebrew stuff so yeah i think drew's mentioned it a fair amount on our podcast um and and i think even already today with his cream ale that he's had like we've found that those are the beers that we keep coming back to are the ones that are the simplest but are the best executed versions of themselves and that's that's what excites us the most is like finding a great pale ale finding a great kolsch finding a great light lager something that just like is crushable time after time after time um and is full of flavor and is and is kind of that challenge like that's where you're like okay it's kind of like when a chef has to cook an omelet. It's right. like if, if they can't cook an omelet, they don't know how to cook. Anyone can, like, get a nice piece of meat and put it on the grill and season it and all that sort of stuff. But, but when it's the simple stuff, just executed to perfection, yeah. like, that's when you know that you're really, you're really working with something here. For sure. Um, again, to kind of build upon your guys' military service, there seems to be a, a strong percentage of, of veterans that do go into brewing. Um, there's a few within the state as well uh, that, that represent uh, the military and then go in and, and brew there and um, as yourselves, just like yourselves, give back to that military community too. But do you guys think that there's a coincidence or a connection to draw between military experience and running a brewery? Are there things that kind of uh, blend the lines or things from your experience that give you an advantage of that? I think the, the level of discipline that it requires uh, for military service is kind of it goes through everything here, whether it's the brewing part, um, just the discipline to like keep doing something and trying to dial things in, or uh, you know everything from running the business and making sure you're on top of you know the details, uh, and then for sure the you know the management of people is big. Uh, 
Because if you can do it, if you can, if you can manage people in a situation that's not stress-free, you know, it's pretty, this is pretty stress-free in terms of like, there's no, nobody's life is on the line for any, you know, anything we do here. Uh, maybe some of the stuff that me and Dan do in the back are a little <laughs> dangerous, but, uh, you know, managing our employees, it's pretty straightforward and uh, it's, you know, it should be, it should be pretty, pretty stress-free and it's mostly just making you know, sound decisions and providing clear guidance. Uh, so also all those things kind of tie into to running, I think, any business really. Yeah. Um, honestly, what, what I would say to this question is more like all these military guys go out and they taste all these different beers from around the country and then they come back and they're like, we don't have this here. I want to do this. So, um, like, I think Will's dad actually got into homebrewing from one of his friends. So it, it, it's just another one of those hobbies that the military people can um, join together and, and get to do um, and just hang out when you're away from whatever your, your billet is. So um, once you leave, you're like, well, I can do this. There's nothing here. Let, let's open a brewery kind of thing. So I, I think what's neat about your answer, too, is um, – kind of what's unsaid, right, is like you have a perspective that not a lot of people have. And so you do know that this isn't a life or death situation. And this is something where people can come to really appreciate community and appreciate one another and appreciate a product. And um, I think that that's, again, wholly unique to your guys's experience to where you can come in and create that space that you are looking for and that you found in your uh, in your service and in your experience and in your travels. And I, just, I think it's awesome. I mean, we some of the best beers in the country are also made by veterans. And I just think that there's, there's a correlation that is an unspoken correlation that when we hear it's a veteran owned brewery, we know we're in for good beer. So we were just curious if there's a connection that we don't know about. Yeah. I mean, this might be a somewhat of a connection, but I think, you know, in the, in the military, you have a lot of camaraderie. And if you run into another vet uh, for me, if it's another Marine or something, like obviously I'm going to talk to them about their Marine Corps experience, find out where they were at. There's, the Marine Corps is very small, so there's a good chance like we might have crossed paths at some point. Uh, but the other thing that's drawn me into the uh, craft beer industry is like the camaraderie amongst brewers. So it's like you can go to any brewery in town, uh, borrow ingredients, uh, you can pick their brain on stuff. And for the most part, 95% of people are gonna like tell you their recipe for a beer or tell you uh, a specialty ingredient that they use. And that's definitely not the case. I did a medical sales for four years before this, right after I got out of the Marine Corps. And uh, that was like, I was in uh, medical laboratory sales. So every doctor would work with one laboratory and it was very cutthroat. And it was like personal attacks on other reps. Like it was not, not very, uh, there was no camaraderie with that. And uh, surprised you wanted to get away from that. And it was more my transition job, it just kind of worked out. But uh, this just even from like, from a homebrewing standpoint, I could see that. I saw that uh, people were collaborative and they were willing to work with each other. And even now with like over 9,432 brewers or something like that oh. uh, in the uh, in the country, there, I mean, there's a lot of camaraderie within craft beer. And, uh, you know, that's, for me, that's one of the biggest things um, that kind of translates from the, from the Marine Corps. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, camaraderie and community and and, um, and all of that, was there anything about Nebraska aside from it being home for the, for the two of you? Is there anything about Nebraska that like that draws you back to this place after traveling the world, traveling the country, where you said this is where we want to build our brewery? Well, so Dan's yeah. from Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Kearney, um, and I knew. Once I left the Navy, I was going to move back here. I didn't need to go anywhere to know that I wanted to come back here after. Um, and originally, I thought I was going to move back to Kearney, but then we decided to open here in Lincoln. So, <laughs> um, But, I mean, it's great. Um, here in Lincoln, it's – I love the big town – small town feel right um and also living in virginia 
I knew I never wanted to live there. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. We have a ton of listeners in Virginia that are going to be <laughs> furious. Thanks. Hey, now we got to go they, through our emails. So, so here's the put thing. Out fires. Like, they, if they live in Virginia, they know how the traffic <laughs> is, and that's the number that's one reason that I would never live there again. Uh, so I did not grow up here. I, uh, you know, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so we moved around. Uh, I think this was, we moved here in 10th grade. I think that was like my 16th house. So every couple of years we moved to a different place and uh, lived in uh, Southern California a few times, Virginia. I actually didn't mind Virginia. I thought it was actually pretty sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, our Virginia contingency yeah, is back. Yeah, We're back. And, uh, I spent we a lot of time out there in the Marine Corps and uh, that was actually, it was, it was pretty great. Um, Lived in uh, Kansas down at Fort Leavenworth for a year, and then lived in uh, Rhode Island for a year. There's a Naval, Naval War College, um, so we spent a year in Rhode Island. And there I went to three different schools. Um, started out at a public school. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, there's a lot of kids that want to pick fights at these schools for no reason. Um, so I went to the public school for like a week. Then I was at a private school for a week. And then I ended up just homeschooling for the remainder of the year that we were in Rhode Island. From there, we actually moved down to Chesapeake, Virginia, and it was great. I mean, like, people were friendly. From there, we moved to Nebraska, and I finished high school, and it was on a different level in terms of, like, how friendly people are. Like, it was it was completely different than anything, like, I had experienced. Um, and so coming back here, it was it was the people. Like, I was living in Southern California, uh, just outside. It was Camp Pendleton, which is, like, right next to San Clemente, which is, like, this awesome surf town. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like it's it's paradise, and uh, I'll probably retire there someday. But um, even that wasn't enough to like stay there. It was like I wanted to get back to Nebraska. Uh, the people are just different, um, and you feel it like even on the flight to Nebraska. You know, you got flight to wherever. You know, all your connections. Once you get on that flight into Omaha or Lincoln, it's like there's a whole different vibe on the plane. Like people are just a little more willing to like you know, kind of. You know, if you, if you bump into somebody, they're not going to uh, treat you poorly. So for me, it was I wanted to get back to Nebraska uh, because of the people. And I mean, it's it's worked out great since then. When you retire, would you consider opening like a Corn Coast West? Yeah, then, I don't when know. <laughs> have <laughs> a second actually, branch? Yeah, there's a there's a left coast brewing out in, in San Clemente that I don't know. That would Corn Coast, left coast would be. Oh, yeah, because there's all those laws <laughs> about naming, right? Yeah, Did you guys yeah, encounter yeah. any of those when you were? coming up with with corn coast where you had to like <laughs> pivot or not too much there is another business in lincoln called corn coast company um we've met with those guys they're really nice um it's a different it's a different industry completely sure There's really not any actual copyright or trademark issues so we just wanted to make sure we were de-conflicted with with them and that they were good with us uh, yeah. opening this up at the same under the same name and I, I don't think there's been any issues like since since then so no um, they did reach out to us once. Uh, they wanted to add like another section to their business, but they and they had to reach out to us because we also had Corn Coast. So they we, they had to like we had to sign some papers to to the Secretary of State saying, "Oh, you're good to use Corn Coast as well," kind oh. of thing. So because we know there's a lot of rules when it comes to like breweries naming. If it's anywhere like within the realm, that there can sometimes be a hold up or a stop or something like that. So I, I think even some places in Nebraska have had oh. issues with that. Where yeah. there, yeah, I mean, well, I think the most noted one is probably Stone Brewing. Kind of any any brewery with a stone in the name has has yeah. had maybe some some deconfliction that they've had to do to to make sure they they can have that name. And um, the biggest issue we have is like beer names. You know, it's very hard to be creative now with <laughs> sure with beer names. Yeah. So. Uh, generally the rule is like if there's one name on untapped with that beer maybe stay away from it but if there's 50 breweries that are using that name you're you know more more than yeah. likely safe but now you, so you're seeing more names <laughs> that are like a sentence long it's because there's just yeah there's hundreds <laughs> of thousands of beer names floating around now yeah we, we've only been hit up one time for a pseudo cease and desist on using a name which that beer got rated Horribly on untapped, so we'll never use it again. <laughs> <laughs> Who does come up with your names, or and how do you come up with your names? It's definitely a collab between uh, <laughs> yeah. between both of us. Um, we do have a giant uh, piece of paper, like you know, in school, where the teacher would flip it over, and it's you know, 
two feet by three feet with oh, yeah. it just has a bunch of names on it um every once in a while we'll, we'll trickle back to that thing and and see if there's anything that we can kind of bounce off of um but for the most part like we just pull from whatever uh is kind of hitting our fancy that day um back before we were throwing it into 16 ounce cans and we had to have the label like the day we were brewing it um we we would just like wait taste it this feels like a whatever beer um so now it's a little bit more tricky because you gotta come up with the name beforehand (laughs) but uh uh for the most part we just like sit down and we're just like what about this name i like it but what about this one and then back and forth and then it's something completely different at the end of the day but um it all works out so yeah i mean we uh Grew up in the 90s, so we use a lot of 90s references, 80s references. I mean, uh, that's kind of like the, I'd say, that probably the majority of folks <laughs> that visit the brewery are in that uh, demographic. So we uh, will throw in a lot of Dumb and Dumber references <laughs> yeah. or uh, 90s movies. I actually have a question that does yeah. pertain to yeah. that. So um, you guys, over the past few years, have released a variety of double dry hops, barrel-aged varieties like extra pair of gloves, um, many more big kind of bold brews. What beers, if any, um, are kind of on the list that you haven't released or that you would consider being like a white whale? Are there any styles or anything that you're like, I don't want this going to the public until it's perfect. Is there anything that's kind of on that list for you? You know, to do, to do the barrel-aged beers right, those take a while. And so we've got some stuff back there that, uh, you know, it's the, the feedback loop on those beers is so long where, you know, you brew the Beach and Time Cream Ale, Let's say four or five weeks later, you taste it. You can make an adjustment. So every month or two, you can have a new version of that coming out. Or a barrel-aged beer, it's like 18 months, you know, is your is your feedback loop. So my goal is by, like, the fifth year, fifth year anniversary, we have some really badass uh, barrel-aged beers coming out just because it's going to take some time to really, you know, dial in, Not you know, not just the, the barrel, the time in the barrel, but also that base beer that's going in there and seeing how that changes over and a half that's commendable uh, barrel aged beers was how i got into craft beer a lot of people go like the ipa route and then go that route i went i went like high abv off the deep end and <laughs> wouldn't touch an ipa for a, a long time um, and then drew just was relentless and got me into them but you're, you're finding that like these barrel aged beers get to be an event amongst themselves like when they do come out you know it becomes one of these things where people line up they bring you know, just this excitement and this raw energy to it. So I, I, I love the the kind of communal response to a barrel-aged beer, especially if you're something that you're working on. And, you know, five years down the road, we get to look forward to that. Like, it feels like running a marathon and getting sure. to that finish line and something like that. So I think that's awesome. That yeah, I mean, there's been some brewers that, you know, they take that beer, they put it into a different barrel every year for like three or four years. And that's an insane amount of work for <laughs> an insanely small amount of volume after all the evaporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people want to try those beers. Oh, those yeah, are, yeah. Those are highly sought after kind of things. The one project that we've been throwing around, haven't started this yet. I mean, we we have a pretty good following for our seltzer, like our smoothie seltzer beers, which are all cocktail-inspired uh, things. We're thinking about doing a margarita seltzer, um, taking that base seltzer and actually putting it into tequila barrels Ooh. and then let that hang out and see once it's, like, tasting pretty – pretty close to tequila, you know, pull it out, and then, uh, you know, make our margarita seltzer. So that's not going to be something we can have on the menu at all times, but uh, it'd be kind of fun, and it definitely fits within our lineup of stuff. When you're, when you're looking for new stuff to put on your menu, um, new beer styles, new profiles, um, is there anything that, you, like, you're, like, you're looking at it, and you're like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to touch that style, even if it's popular, even if it's it's well known. Or is there is there any beer that you're just like not interested in brewing? And and if so, like, well, is there a reasoning behind that? For me, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the because if you go back to like 2012, people thought uh, Imperial Red Ale was like some crazy stuff, and like maybe maybe people weren't brewing those because they were um, too trendy or something. Now that's like. People don't brew them because they're kind of old styles. Uh, so everything in craft beer, I feel like innovation is like the main thing with craft beer. So if somebody's making something completely off the wall and people like it, like why not try to make your best version of it and see it, 
you know, I, I take every style that I hear about and I think I don't really think that's going to be any good. Like the first time I had hazy IPA, I thought it was disgusting. I had it at a place that it like burned my throat, you know, it was all just like the stuff at the bottom of the fermenter. And I was like, this is, this is so dumb. Why are people doing this? <laughs> um, and so I had, you know, a few more and I could see why people like them. And then I just kind of conjure up in my own head, like what, it, you know, if I could imagine a glass of beer in front of me that I would really like in this style, like what is that going to taste like? And I work from there. So it's like my best version in my brain. And then it's like, can we, can we put that into the glass? Um, but yeah, I don't, there's not something that we, we would see out somewhere else that we wouldn't want to try to, to make here. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Usually it's like some customer will, the, on the random days that we're still hanging out when the tap room's open, um, we'll see some of our regulars like, hey, have you done this? No. You guys should do that. And then, you know, maybe like six to eight months later, we'll, we'll actually do it. Um, one of the, like, new hotness around here, especially last year, was the, the pickle beer. Everybody's doing a pickle beer. And, oh, yeah. Um, we're thinking about doing it. So. Yeah, not something that I'm a big fan of, but people love it, and we'll try to make one that they love here. You know, like, that's kind of the mindset. Yeah. I will say there are, I mean, like, I would draw the line at, like, the spontaneously fermented sour beers. <laughs> if you try to talk me into doing that in our fermenters or some crazy stuff like that, like things that are going to cause issues for all the beers that we brew. And um, just from a sanitation standpoint, I would be against some of that. But uh, if it's a beer style, a new seltzer, something completely brand new that's, you know, we can produce and not have it affect anything else, like, yeah, totally, totally game. Yeah. Has, has there been anything that you've brewed that's gone gangbusters and you're like, I don't get it? Honestly, uh, the first time we made the Bahama Lama Pina Colada, like, I couldn't believe the response. Um, it was just flying out the tap. and then um, I knew that was going to go well. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I, like, I well, like pina coladas. I know Dan's not a big fan of I, the, I mean, the cocktail drink. Uh, the one that I, I do actually like um, both the, the Ain't No Lie Baby Mai Tai Tai and the uh, Tangerine Trampoline. Uh, I'll drink those every <laughs> Sorry. once in a while. <laughs> Just catching up on that Mai Tai Tai. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you missed out. Uh, we we just had to erase it from the board, actually, last week, I believe. We, um, But, yeah. Uh, seltzer names are important. Yeah, the seltzer names. Around with those. those are, um, it's like a planning we, meeting for the seltzer names. Yeah, the, uh, uh, let's see here. We did an Orange Julius, which was uh, Orange Dream Mystery Machine. Nice. Um, what was the other? Prickly uh, Pear Party Punch. Yeah. <laughs> We take our time on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, those ones we have to do. When people bit. order these, are they are they willing and uh, to say the whole name, or do you get those people it's that are hesitant? Shortened to, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. First time they usually try the whole thing. That's good. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I would. Yeah. It's like, also I been combinations of these. So we had. Oh like yeah. A, uh, we had a cherry sour called uh, Carnival Ride. So then people love mixing that with the Bahama Llama, Pina Colada. So it became the a ride and <laughs> yeah we've had a few other uh combos so they get their own names kind of like a secret menu that's awesome oh, nice yeah it's not like when you go to a restaurant and they're like they make you order like the <laughs> super crunchy crispy chicken cluckers and you're like can i just have the chicken fingers <laughs> yeah. man like i, I don't want to have to say yeah. that oh man or the or the in the Simpsons, I'll take your first finest menu stuffed with your second finest <laughs> that'll menu. be the lobster <laughs> stuffed with, with taco. the taco yeah <laughs> Oh man. Um, so, you know, I, I was surprised when I found you guys on, on shelves in Omaha, um, your stuff was canned up. Cause again, you, you were a smaller, newer brewery. Um, not, and when I say surprised, I mean, very pleasantly surprised. And I was, I was snatching it all up. Um, and it sounds like you guys, um, all, have kind of always had in mind that there will be some, some growth involved here and, and spreading out and, and building into something bigger. Um, I'm just curious, has, has distribution always kind of been on the, on the back burner in the back of your minds when, when planning things out. Um, and then also just to follow that up as far as distribution goes, I'm just curious, like what, what beers, um, can listeners find out on the shelves now? Yeah. Um, so for us distribution, I mean, year one was insane. We didn't know that we'd be that popular. So our business plan kind of moved up and we, we were able to go ahead and get a couple more tanks, get the, the canning line. Um, 
So we started self-distribution back in October uh, when Casual Pint reached out to us. They, they wanted some beer for uh, Beer Week, I think. Um, and then we just kind of started going from there. We try to do deliveries at least twice a, a month. Um, most of the beers that are going out to the shelves are, are IPAs. Um, but it's a little bit more of what we want to be known for. Uh, of every once in a while, we'll throw in one of our light beers. Uh, now, uh, we did make the decision that any beer that we have on the menu, other than, say, like the Nitro Stout, which we can't throw into 16-ounce cans, we'll go into 16-ounce cans, whether it makes the shelves or not, um, is kind of up to us, like what we want um, to have for the tap room, kind of keep the menu going here. Um, but for the most part, any of our IPAs will go out on the shelves, and uh, every once in a while we'll have a light beer. But uh, we were actually talking about it yesterday because at SIP Nebraska, we were dis- like, people are destroying the tangerine trampoline, and we sold out in like less than half the time that we were out there. Um, maybe start doing the seltzers too. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, Dan does most of the distribution stuff. That's and his uh, big thing. So now that I'm helping him drive it around town, see how much <laughs> it sucks. But yeah, we held on uh, that first year. A lot of distribution companies came in and wanted to help us out uh, to put the products on the shelf. Really, we didn't have the volume to do that at the time. You know, the tap room was the first thing. Um, and once you once you pair with a distribution company, it becomes kind of hard to get out of that. So we also just wanted to hold off because we knew uh, just talking to folks within the uh, Nebraska craft beer scene that the self-distribution was probably going to come around at some point for us. And uh, now that we can take full advantage of that, it's been really, really helpful to uh, sort of cut out the middleman and uh, sell it directly to the, to the stores. I don't think that's going to be doable forever as we keep sending stuff out. Uh, but yeah, like Dan was saying, it's kind of the IPAs right now are the, the big thing. And then as we get uh, a little more uh, confident with some of the, like, packaging on the seltzers where we know they're going to hold up just like they do in the tap room we'll we'll start sending those out uh to lincoln and omaha as well very cool are you looking at like what's what's moving in the tap room to help kind of decide what is worth sending out or is it more of like a will we want to be identified as like the ipa guys for those those people are scooping up stuff in the stores and I, then yeah i i would i would definitely say it's both um but What's moving in the tap room and what's moving in the stores is our IPA. So that's why we're putting okay. them out there. Um, and we do want to be kind of known um, for our IPAs around here. Uh, I mean, in Omaha, you got Cross Strain. What do you have in Lincoln? I'm sure other breweries here in town will disagree with me, but we've, got, we've kind of taken over on the IPA thing. So um, that's kind of what we, we – we want to be the king of that, and I think we're doing a good job of that so far. So I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I do think of Corn Coast as an IPA-focused and IPA-friendly place where it's like, you know, you get those varietals of IPAs where one place might have two or three, but you guys are kind of, you know, doing the small tweaks that make big differences. So when you drink a one hazy versus the other, there is, you know, that difference. It's not just here's our hazy, here's our, our West Coast, here's what it happens to be. Right, and I will say the, the size scale of the brewery contributes greatly to that um it's not that the other breweries in town couldn't make you know world-class ipas i'm not saying that ours are world-class i'm just saying i think everybody's doing a great job uh brewing these styles but i think the flexibility that we have because we can order enough hops of like brand new varieties and try those out on a five barrel batch where it might be kind of hard to do that on a bigger scale and then um somebody that's distributing you know if they're gonna try to hit all the stores it's almost impossible to, to do that. A lot of bigger breweries, they get their hops kind of contracted for the year, so they're kind of locked in on what they can use. We're mostly focused on spot buy on the hops, so whatever is kind of currently available. Uh, we'll reach out to like freestyle, freestyle hops out in New Zealand. We'll ship directly from there, and I can get 44 pounds of something, and that's enough to do a couple different beers. Um, or Hollingberry hops uh, has been a big one. Just the flexibility is the is the biggest thing with that because I can just experiment with different different things. Um, I'm not locked into like a certain volume threshold on it. 
as you yeah. grow and expand, do you do you plan on keeping that that piece of the business alive, where you're doing just these smaller um, IPA batches of IPAs and rotating through a lot more recipes like that, as you are also producing maybe some flagships and stuff that's regularly going out? Yeah, I think I have too much fun brewing still. Like, I, thought, <laughs> I was wondering, like, how long could this go? Or I, and then it becomes, like, an actual job. Uh, and that still hasn't happened. So I think uh, to, to do a little extra work to make all that happen, I'm totally good with. And we still do, like, little experiments on five-gallon stuff mm-hmm. uh, to kind of plan for, for some of those, whether it's, like, a, a different yeast strain or something. So I would – it would be, like, it just wouldn't feel right if we were – to lock in on something we do want to like you know for some of our staple ipas we want to kind of have those on a consistent basis and then dial those in further um but still providing those experimental batches if you will we even have a whole experimental series called yolo bombs don't know if you've had any of the yolo bombs ipas back to uh tommy armstrong days where it was a lot of oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're on yolo bombs number seven uh, it's always something experimental, so we're kind of working on that one right now. That'll be the next release. Uh, I don't know if anybody noticed, but we never did a Yolo Bombs 3 because we had to dump that one <laughs> because yeah. of the experiments. Uh, so, like, those are kind of where we like to play around with, like, hey, if we're going to do something kind of out there, we're going to do it on that series. And they do they do go all over pretty well, but there's a chance that it's going to be a complete mess. Like a Yolo Bombs. They live up to their name. the name, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the perfect transition uh, to where we're going to take the conversation next, which is we've got a couple questions about Nebraska football. And you guys are UNL grads. Yeah. I'm assuming Husker fans. Big time. Yes. Um, so first and foremost, any, any predictions for the upcoming year? Any feelings you have going into the Matt Rule rule? Like, is there a, 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 a vibe? You know, yeah, being yeah. from Omaha, we kind of hear it, you know, as an echo. But you yeah, guys are in sure. the center of it right now. Um, well, I will say we both went to the spring game. We – we were out there in that nice cold. Um, I have a five-month-old, and we brought him along. So <laughs> Get him started. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course. I took a four-year-old and a two-year-old. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but, man, I was <laughs> – at the beginning of that game, like, um, especially with the, the 45s painted on the on the field and, and the stuff they did for Frank, like, I was drinking that rule aid so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're, you're in a safe space here, and I know it's your own building, but you're amongst friends here. I was crying when, when you know, all that stuff happened. When they when Matt Rule was so excited to run out and grab the ball for Frank and bring it to him on the side. I mean, like, my wife was like, are you all right? And I'm like, no, I'm not all right. I'm like, here's 20 years of what could have been. For sure. Yeah. I've, I've learned just do not predict. <laughs> and especially don't be excited about the upcoming season because it's just the last, like, six years have just been hard to stomach that way. Um, I mean, I've, so like I said, I didn't grow up here. So I, uh, started really pulling for Nebraska, like 2001 season was the first year. Oh, you picked the wrong time to join. I've been on this roller coaster. Yeah. You've been just going downhill for a long time. Um, yeah, both my, uh, both my parents went to Iowa state, but I have family from Iowa that they were all Nebraska fans. So that's how my dad kind of got into it. Uh, he used to sit with the Nebraska fans at the Iowa State games when Nebraska would go to Ames to play. Good man. Um, so he was he was always big into it. I remember I was living in Southern California in the '90s. I was I was big into street hockey at the time, so we were out playing hockey. I remember he, like, I think it was the '97 national championship. He was like, "Hey, like, wouldn't you go in and watch this game?" And I was just like, ah, "I don't really care about it." So I, I didn't even watch <laughs> any of those great moments of Nebraska football. Obviously, I've seen them all now fully on YouTube, um, but I. Got into it 2001. Uh, then we just, by happenstance, ended up moving here. And I, I already wanted to come here for college. Uh, and then that just kind of lit the flame. And, you know, that was the Callahan into bow years, 2006, 2010. Yeah. Uh, so even in college, we got a couple of good years there. And so I've just been on this, like, I always think it's going to happen because I wanted to see it for myself. I was like, the 2001 season was like, yeah, yeah, this team, I've heard these guys are good. It's like if Alabama right now, you became a fan. Yeah. You're like, I hear these guys win almost every other year. Like, this will happen again. Like, well, maybe this year, maybe next year, I don't know. And then uh, as it's just been up and down and now just a lot of down, you know, I'm just kind of maybe way more realistic about the situation. But I do think, like, honestly, the, the problems that have persisted for the last few years – or something unlike any other team deals with. Like, it's insane. Like, you could pick some of the bottom of the barrel college football programs, and they haven't even had it as bad. So there's no reason with all the um, 
the resources, the fan support, and the, the new facilities that are coming up, that they can't get something going where we could actually like be excited about. Because it's been hard to to be excited about, you know, for the last few years here. For someone who wasn't born in it, you sure speak like a Husker fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I mean, dude, I've been to the yeah. little museum down there to oh, see the geez. original Dang. horseshoe. I mean, like you're talking. I mean, I uh, I'm, I'm fully. Good. That's good. Now, I, I have to put a pause here because longtime listeners of our show will know that Drew and I talk too much about Mighty Ducks, and you brought up street hockey. <laughs> I do have a question for you about street hockey, and this is completely unrelated. How many times did you and your friends try and hit a knuckle puck while you were playing? <laughs> that was big back then. Was that, that, was that a real thing in street hockey, or was that just like, was that totally Keenan Thompson I think inspired? that was more you're playing around while you're not playing a game. Okay. Yeah, you're not doing that during, because like, I mean, the fast pace, even... 10-year-olds playing street hockey. Like, oh, I'm we sure. We would go down to the tennis court, take the net down, and we could, like, like smash each other up against the, the fence uh, down at the tennis court. It was a perfect size hockey rink for a bunch of 10- to 12-year-olds. Put your, put your nets out and just, like, you know, cross-checking, checking people into the fence. Um, it was a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we talk way too much about Mighty Ducks on this podcast for it being a craft beer and Nebraska <laughs> yeah. football podcast, particularly about how dark the first Mighty Ducks movie is and it being DUI-based so and all that stuff. Just, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it really juxtaposes the good message <laughs> Man, we're trying to say. I didn't that. I didn't pick that up as well. Oh, it's crazy. It's on <laughs> Disney+. Mean, well, Plus. Yeah. Check I, it out. Yeah. I, I think you guys mentioned that Gordon, Bombay, those are both, um, what, vodkas or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And. Cool. He got pulled over for a You know, DUI. when you go back and watch any movie you liked as a kid, you oh. realize a lot of things. It's yeah. amazing the stuff that, he, that movie studios would oh, yeah. put out. He loads, kids. so he's got to drive a, a limousine, and he loads all these kids in on the ice, and they're driving around in this limousine on the ice after he's had a DUI. And his, his, <laughs> his punishment for being a criminal is to teach a bunch of kids to play hockey. Yeah. In the first half, he teaches them all how to cheat. It's an insane <laughs> movie. Guys, I don't want to derail this conversation, yeah. but, you know, I mean, you, you brought it up, Will, so this is your <laughs> Okay, so our, our, our last question is one that we like to ask um, all the breweries that we get to sit down with, and it's a hypothetical. So um, let's say in the, in the near future, hopefully very near future, Trev Alberts, who's got this thing going on the right path, finally gets beer sales in Memorial Stadium for Husker Game Days, and you guys are given the keys to the kingdom. Is there a beer that you have here that you would say, this is going to go over incredibly well with the Husker fans, it's going to be the perfect fall game day beer if so what beer is it or is there a beer that you would brew and would you change the name it's this is a big hypothetical it's way too long of a question but just like what would you guys do if if the keys were given to you guys i think the style should be something light it you know just goes better with sports and longevity of the drinking session if it's not a double ipa or something (laughs) the name though i think we'd have to work on that kind of want to release a beer something new herbie themed like kind of just to go to celebrate the new revised a nice blonde ale. Maybe. Yeah. I've been saying this since I started watching. It was kind of when they changed the Herbie Husker, and I was like, dude, I think there's actually something to this. I was, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but you did join right, right? as things started Everything falling started off. So maybe if get, you became like, an yeah, Alabama fan like for the rest about. of us, yeah. Yeah. you could tank that yeah. that institution. And yeah. so some, I don't know, we'd have to come up with a name, but I think a light beer for sure would would be the go to. Yeah. Um, Definitely something lighter uh, in ABV, but uh, I'm I'm very partial to our amber ale called Shuck Yeah. Um, Ooh, that'd be perfect. I like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely good fall drinker. Um, but I would be very remiss to say that if with the uh, South Stadium um, renovations, if they don't, if they're going to do the beer thing, and they don't put in a beer garden that's like Nebraska beers, oh god, that would be like a travesty. That it's would be. Did you hear that, Trev? That would be incredible. <laughs> I hope you're listening. It's gonna be yeah. all Coors Life. <laughs> oh, that's the no, start no. of the next bad bad phase. Of- <laughs> you know, we so we went to the Iowa game last year, and to give Iowa credit, they do serve Bush Light, but they also do serve Big Grove. So they do have some craft beer in that stadium, and uh, they let you buy like you can. You buy two at a time, and so we definitely made. The most of that situation and and i mean trev albert seems to just not know how to make a bad decision for this program i've, I've never heard someone pitch the beer garden though oh, and just I, all nebraska i, I want that all so beer. bad now yeah Has i'm not going to go to another game yeah. damn it until they do that this is my <laughs> yeah, protest yeah. season yeah. tickets be damned so i can picture it now it'd be awesome oh, that'd be yeah. incredible 
Well, guys, we want to thank you so much uh, for letting us intrude on your on your Sunday morning and, and uh, sit down in your brewery and, and ask some questions and, and just take an hour of your time or so. And um, you guys make great beer, uh, great to chat with, and, and we're just so appreciative of, of not only what you do for the beer community, uh, your military service. We thank you for that again. Um, and just keep keep doing what you're doing because we're huge fans, and we're just so grateful that you guys are in this beer community. Yeah, appreciate you guys yeah. coming down. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks anytime too. If we want to do this again, do some uh, <laughs> just straight up beer tastings too. I mean, anytime. Pretty, uh, you mean we didn't have to bring all of the, <laughs> the microphones and the? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This well, isn't even walking, recording. Yeah, this we can is do a real. walking tour or something. Yeah, yeah. this is just bright colors yeah, on a board. Yeah. This isn't even real. <laughs> <laughs>so that does it for this episode of wannabe walk-ons we want to thank dan and will for taking time out of their super busy schedule to sit down with us if you'd like to learn more about corn coast brewing company you can visit their website at corncoastbrewing.com or find their beer at retailers across the great state of nebraska or visit their tap room nice uh, new off-season episodes of wannabe walk-ons will drop every so often on tuesdays at 11 a.m make sure to follow us on facebook instagram and or twitter to stay in the know Look for our interviews with Fremont's 505 Brewing and David City's Salt Mine City Brewing Co. as we continue our craft brewery mini-series in the coming weeks. We want to thank all our listeners, both new and long time, for tuning in. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to tell us where to drink next. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.